What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you all have had a great week. It means that it's Friday with another episode. I hope you all have uh, had, had a good, eventful week. Um, no matter what has come your way, I pray that this episode will be just a blessing to you. And I'm pretty pumped because we have another guest. Um, the, this week's guest, uh, what a dear friend of mine. We actually met each other this semester in our interdisciplinary capstone class. So interdisciplinary is like the degree I'm in just means you have multiple areas of study. Uh, and then you have to take a capstone class basically to finish kind of everything off before you're allowed to graduate. And uh, kind of sat sat by this guy. Um, didn't say much to him in the first few classes, but then the more I heard him speak, I was just like, man, this dude has got a lot of wisdom, got a lot of knowledge. And um, heard him speak a few more times and finally was like, it went up, introduced myself, and the rest was history. And so I realized that uh, he had an incredible story. And so I was like, "Dude, have you ever done a podcast before? Like, let's if you're if you're down, like let me let me share my story with you. Um, and and if you're still down after, like we can get some uh, going. But without further ado, my dear guest Tony, Tony, thank you so much for being willing to uh, come on and share your story with everyone. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I definitely had no idea I was sitting next to a guy running a podcast in my this class. So <laughs> definitely thankful to be here. Yeah, man, of course. So Tony, Tony has an incredible story. And as soon as I heard Tony's story, I heard it kind of in bits and be- in pieces as he was sharing with the class a little bit about, um, you know, how he grew up, uh, the, the service and jobs that he had. Um, and he just is a very interesting guy. Uh, the way I kind of described Tony to some of my friends that I told him I was recording with, I was like, Tony, you, he's 25. You never would have guessed he's 25. Um, he seems like he's lived 100 lives and has knowledge and wisdom from every single one. And you'll hear it in this episode. You'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, but, but Tony, in, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us where you're from, your family, um, all of that stuff. Uh, um from Alabama, so I'm a Southern guy at heart. Okay. Born and raised in Dothan, Alabama. Okay. And as far as my family goes, I have three siblings, one brother, two sister, and I was raised predominantly by my mom. Okay. And uh, as you said, I am 25 years old, and I, I can't take all the credit <laughs> yeah. for this wisdom. I definitely can't take any of it, but I have seen a few things in this lifetime. So Awesome, man. So Dothan, Alabama. My sister's from Birmingham. How far, where is Dothan? Is it southern, northern, eastern? It's Alabama. almost as southern as you can go in oh, Alabama. Dang. Okay, so near the Gulf. Near the Gulf. Okay, so do y'all, y'all probably get a lot of hurricanes down there, Some depending on which route they go. It, it, well, we don't get too many hurricanes. Okay. We got one major one a while back. I got the you. power out for about two weeks, but Jeez. nothing crazy. All right, yeah, sweet. So um, from Alabama, now obviously we're in Lynchburg, Virginia, recording this. So I got to ask, you came from Alabama to Lynchburg, but there's a big story in between um, about how you got here. I'm excited to kind of go into that. So you lived in Dothan, Alabama for how long? I lived there for 18 years. 18 years. Okay, so all through high school, you, you, you got out of school. What did you decide to do after you got out of school? I said, I'm going to the Air Force. <laughs> I love it. Day one. I love it. Okay, so what kind of drawed you to the military? Uh, I actually always wanted to like dig into it when I joined the JROTC program in high school. Okay. And it was an Army program. Okay. So the fact that I went Arm, uh, Air Force was kind of like... <laughs> You know, just me stepping out on my own and wanting to do something different. For sure. Okay, cool, cool. I know high school I went to didn't have a uh, ROTC, but um, I know, at, for instance, at Liberty, 
they've got the big Air Force ROTC, which branches into, you know, obviously, after they graduate, they're going to serve right. their time in the Air Force. I thought about doing that because uh, the Air Force has been something that uh, I've always, the, if I had to go into a branch, that's the branch I'd go into. And so when you kind of started sharing your story uh, that you had served in the Air Force, I was like, my interest was peaked at that point um, because the reason we got on that topic was because our professor for that class, she, her husband is in the Air, or was in the Air Force, and he was a fighter pilot. Um, and so uh, that kind of got uh, Tony speaking, and he was like, yeah, I was also in the Air Force. And so that kind of was originally what drew me um, to Tony, but man, he just has an, an incredible story too. So I'm really pumped to just be able to share all of that with you. So when you were in the Air Force, um, there's many, many jobs in the Air Force. What was your role uh, for the Air Force? Um, I actually accepted my AFSC as a security forces member. Okay. But in basic training, the Air Force Honor Guard came down for recruiting, uh, and I got picked up. So instead of being a cop, I became a ceremonial guardsman. Okay. So did they? Is it one of those things that they just like pick people at random, or do you have to show interest? Like, hey, I'd be interested in doing that. Um, they'll they have a great sales pitch. It's almost like <laughs> going to a car dealership. Okay. And then they're like, Hey, do you want to come? interview so you sit down with them they ask you a couple questions they get your height because you have to be a certain height oh and you have to have like some leadership skills about you so they ask you about your uh, work history luckily for me i actually had some okay so what what height do you have to be to be a like what's the requirements uh it's different for men and women of course right i think the cutoff for men was five foot ten like the that's the max height no the least you could oh man so i couldn't do that i'm sitting i'm sitting right at like five nine um Hey, I guess I, I mean I guess you could round. I'm like five nine and some, and we could round up to five ten maybe. But I got I just got a uh, everybody that knows me knows I used I had hair that's spiky up yesterday. I buzzed it all off. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe if I had the big hair, maybe I could reach five ten. But okay, so you are a ceremonial guardsman. What describe what a ceremonial guardsman kind of um, does a little bit for those that may not understand what they do. Um, for the Air Force, the ceremonial guardsman is simply put the cream of the crop, and mm-hmm. they handle White House detail as well as Arlington National Cemetery uh, detail. So we okay. uh, bury fallen uh, heroes, and we do full honor funerals mm-hmm. for them and their family and their passings. Okay, so you started out doing the funerals um, kind of to begin with, correct? Before right. you got to the White House. Right, so before okay. you can even think about going to the White House or doing anything special, your primary focus is to be at Arlington National Cemetery okay. and doing those funerals. So that's like almost a prerequisite to the other things to come. Okay, so you, how long did you do funerals for before you kind of transitioned to the White House? Uh, I have to say they, I had about a solid year in the yard. They call it in the, the yard. The yard. <laughs> okay, that's neat. That's really neat. So I will say from someone who is going in and doing funerals, every single day mm-hmm. that's got to be difficult uh difficult is the nicest way you could put that yeah because it's it's an honor to do it right but that honor comes with a, a heavy price of course of so. course because you're always seeing family members who are probably distraught you're seeing um just you've got to feel the weight the weight of what you're doing and i think that that's obviously i, I have no experience doing that but that has got to be difficult um, to kind of to do that and so you were there for a year and a half and then did they train you on to become to the White House or like how did that transition go about um so White House detail usually comes with a light introduction so they pretty much give you a breakdown of 
the ceremonial entrances and okay. exits and what you're going to do specifically. So they'll say, well, you're going to be a part of the flight or you're going to carry the flag or okay. you're going to stand and look pretty somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. Okay. So as I was talking to Tony about this, I thought it was so interesting because I think he first mentioned in class that he was on the White House detail. You don't meet a lot of people who have a, excuse me, a history being at the White House. So you were under, what presidents were you under when you were there? I actually got to see two presidents, President Barack Obama and okay. President Donald J. Trump. Okay, very unique. I thought that was so cool just hearing his experience. And that's originally what kind of got me uh, talking to Tony at first, just to kind of hear his experience. But then when I started talking to him, I realized, dude, this dude and I have so much in common, uh, which was just so cool. So one fun fact that Tony told me was, Every branch is actually represented at the White House, right? Absolutely. Okay, so as the as the what are the what do they do? The Marines, the Air Force, Navy. Um, so the Army pretty much orchestrates and heads most of the dealings at the White House. So okay. they're responsible for getting the other branches there. They handle most of Joint Service jobs, including at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. So mm. they're pretty much right in point. Okay. The Marines, obviously, they're gonna be more security oriented and a lot of the guys ceremonial marines at least they stand at the door they open the door for the presidents or any providing officials to come in and out as a security buffer okay and then of course you have the navy the air force and the coast guard and most of most of them at that point they're kind of hanging out as a demonstration of military superiority air superiority and power i gotcha so they kind of look pretty yeah i got you so that's really neat that's a fun fact that i didn't know and i was like dang we have to we have to tell the people that because there was a lot that i didn't know that i learned from tony i even asked him some question he was like well i'm not allowed to tell you that so uh which which was really cool uh to hear but so take me through kind of a day in the life when you got to the white house of what it is that you were doing um say for instance like an inauguration day or just a normal day or whatever well, the first thing you have to understand is what is your fallout time? Okay. Anything big like CSAF inaugurations, you usually have an early fallout time. Okay. Most inaugurations, for whatever reason, is midnight. <laughs> so if you have an inauguration on the 19th at midnight, you should already be prepared and queued up and ready to go. So wow. I'm going to have to get dressed in my uniform and ready to go. Probably an hour before that, get there, make sure I'm sharp and ready to go. We go through inspections, we pass inspections, then we load up on the bus, we transport there, and then we have to go through security detail, and this is every time. So everyone has to get inspected from their uniforms to their rifles to their background checks. If it doesn't pass, you have to go back. I don't know why it wouldn't pass, but yeah. Holy cow. So then after you get through that, you're like in a protective bubble that's only good while you're there so the second you leave a parameter you have to go through that process all over again (laughs) (laughs) it's like airport security almost (laughs) once you go out you got to go back in through the security and everything except i imagine it's a whole lot more stringent than airport security um so i'm assuming you got to do the inauguration day of uh president trump yes okay so you were up and ready at 12 yeah and well i guess 12 in the morning um, and then how long were you up from, is it 12 to 12 or like? It felt like it. We didn't get back till probably eight. 
at night. So you were running. How do you, are you like running on Red Bulls or what you, is it? You're running on service and dedication to your country. Okay. Fair enough. You're, you're, you're there to get the job done whether, okay. you know, whether you want to or not. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So cool. So, um, you kind of took me through a role at the White House. Now I want, uh, I think it's cool cause you share, you didn't share this in our actual class, but you shared it with me. You were in a movie. Oh yes. <laughs> so tell tell us a little bit about that. Oh, so I was de- definitely fortunate enough to actually have been trained well enough to accept the role in the movie Jackie, and <laughs> it was about I think three to four uh, separate locations of shooting, and mm-hmm. uh, I had to play the role of the left rifle guard because okay. in like historical presence, apparently it was an Air Force member. And okay. I was. Uh, we went to Baltimore for a couple shoots, and then we went to D.C., of course, and then they cleared out the downtown area, and then we went to the Masonic Lodge and walked <laughs> up that, and then we had, like, the horses and the whole nine. And it was it was a very empowering moment because that was, like, an introduction to, like, me being some young kid from yeah. Alabama knowing nothing and yeah. getting the opportunity to be in that movie production. That is insane. So did they, they pay you to be a part of that? Uh no you doing your job is yeah that's fair no that's so cool though because that's like a unique opportunity that most people don't get and to jackie that was an incredible movie i'm always i've always been fascinated by the john f kennedy story um and so your role in that movie i'm assuming takes place after um he is well the whole movie really starts with him being assassinated and then um your role is it during like the funeral um, aspect of the uh, movie, or when is it? Uh, pretty much mostly funeral and processions. So okay. Like when he passed, they had a couple of shots in the uh, cemetery, okay. and then they had the transport, you know, ceremonially with the motorcade and things like right. that. And most of that. So it wasn't necessarily a talking role, more of a visual. Role. No, a hundred percent. That and that's so cool. I'm not, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that movie to try to. To, to find you. So did you get to like hang out with all of like the actors and Jackie and um, I did. I got to sit down with Natalie Portman. She was actually pretty cool. That is uh, so cool. It was pretty cool. Jeez, I'm like I'm like fanboying over. That's so sick. That's so cool. So um and this is again one of the reasons when he was telling me all this as I was getting to know him, I was like, this is what I want to be able to show everybody else. But He's got a cool story, but it, it gets so much deeper um, and so much more amazing for for how God worked in your life through um, all of that. And so, of course, at Equipped, we do like to bring in a mental health aspect to um, the show. And, and what was so unique about Tony's story is, as I, I shared with him a little bit about my journey um, and what we do at Equipped and why we do it. Um, and he was like, that's so unique because I have struggled with a lot of the same things. And so we just got to share with each other our stories and I want to take some time to dive into yours a little bit. Um, and so your, your, your journey in mental health, um, when did that kind of start? Man, uh, day one, really, but Mm -hmm. day one wasn't even obvious. It didn't get serious until believe it or not, I got a taste of it when I was doing a shoot at Jackie. And, uh, okay. Because this was like I was still transitioning. I was trained, but at the same time, I still needed more yard time. Yeah. And uh, I was telling you before, like, a guy came up to me and was like, you know what? Black people didn't even do this in the military and things of that nature. Mm. And, like, I was the only one there. I was wearing, like, the old Air Force uniform. Yeah. And, like, I had, like, zeal and pride in my heart. Right. This one person came out of their way to, like, just rain down on me for being, you know, black and doing military. And yeah. I was like, 
What is that about? Makes no sense, you know? And that kind of sat with me so long. And I not only did I not understand that it was affecting me, but it was just sitting in the back as more leverage for the enemy. Mm. And carrying on to the yard every day of going out from 6 a.m. in the morning to 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. In the, in the evening, yeah, doing funerals back to back, like I began to like see a drastic decline in mm. like the desire to just be there because yeah. you're seeing families crying over mm. their loved ones. You're laying them down, and that's like your primary job every day. Man. Yeah. And so not only primary job, but it is a job that you have to be somewhat perfect at absolutely you don't you don't get to show up and not be perfect if mm. you're if your uniform's not in order your hair is not in order if anything is not inspection ready is reprimanding and you're taken back to the drawing board so it's like holy cow it's a ding in what they call the blotter so if your name goes in the blotter everyone in the unit knows that you didn't do what you're supposed mm. to do that day so then it's like not only did I make a mistake, not only am I not doing my job, but everyone knows I'm not doing my job. Man. And I, the compounding interest on that comes back tenfold later. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. So you're in this role as a, a, a guardsman who is, you know, doing their time in the yard and they are doing funerals day in and day out. And so you have obviously the, the pressure because you are human. You're, you're feeling the pain, even though you didn't necessarily know these soldiers um, who served their country and died for their country, but you're having to be around family who did know them and who are obviously visually upset. And so that's going to weigh on your heart. But then not only that, to go from the pressure of having to do that day in and day out to the pressure of having to be simply perfect right. at it. Right. The the combination of those two things, I can imagine, only played on your mental health, like, like you said, tenfold. I mean, that's got to be incredibly difficult. It is, and it's not to say that we didn't know what we were signing up for. Yeah. But when you realize that you really are just a number, mm -hmm. and when you're in the yard, as I told you before, there was a, a young man he had passed. He was a really good, great guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this man died. He was a young man, and we're laying him down. Mm -hmm. Like, who who am I, right? Like, mm -hmm. it could it could have easily just been me not going home to my family at the right. end of the day, and now they're doing this for me. Right. And like every day I would look out the window and just like loathing life because I'm like, wow, this really doesn't get any better. Man. And it, it was a, a drastic impact to me thinking like, what if I didn't show up? Would mm. they care? Would they just find someone to replace me that day? Like yeah. if I wasn't good enough up the snuff, would they care enough to investigate? Mm. And those questions went from questions to thoughts of just not even being there to actual actions and things that Man. most people wouldn't even want to discuss. Yeah. But I wanted to be candid because I was hurting and I thought I was alone. Mm. There were other people around me that were feeling the same way, but nobody wanted to be candid about the mm. pain and mm. I feel like men, as you stated, like yeah. you really don't talk about it. But that yeah. was that was a very tender moment for me. There's a lot of power in what you just said about being candid and being open. There's no doubt that it is is a hard for a guy, especially and a guy I can imagine in the military, a hard thing to do. And like you said, at that moment, you felt as though you were alone because no one else was being open and honest about it. But the fact that you were able to be open and honest about it, and when you started being open and honest about it, other people started saying, hey, I feel the same way as you. 
right. you know? And so there is community. And for those that are out there listening to that now, I know that there are times that you feel alone in what you're going through. Maybe it's not mental health. Maybe it's a different struggle you're having in your life and you feel alone through that. Um, I encourage you to talk to those around you because I guarantee you aren't alone in that struggle. You aren't alone through that. Um, very similar to me. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that struggled with you know, mental health back in 2020 when, the, when COVID was going on um, and all of that stuff. And that's really when I started to see mine. But like you said, we didn't know what it was at the beginning. Right. It, it takes a while to figure that out, um, especially when it's something that you hadn't dealt with. But I'll say it over and over again. It wasn't until six months after I re- the first sign of it. Um, six months after when I finally told my parents, they're the, one of the first people I told, and that is when I started to be, feel freedom from this, these shackles that Satan had on me because it was, he didn't obviously want me to say anything about it, but I knew that that's when healing began for me. Right. Um, now, of course, as everyone knows, it's a long journey. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. still healing from it today. And this is two years later, uh, almost three years later, two and a half years later now, um, but God has a, a vision and a purpose behind everything that you go through. Um, and so you were a ceremonial guardsman in the, in the Air Force for about six years, right? Uh, my contract was six, six years. Six years, okay. But I, I did half of that as a ceremonial okay. guardsman. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So half as a ceremonial guardsman. Um, what was the reason that you kind of transitioned out of the Air Force? Well, as riveting as it sounds you can't always be a, a ceremonial guard okay. because it's a dsd it's a special duty gotcha job. so you have to transition okay and a lot of people transition and come back but mm-hmm. most people you know go on to their career okay and when i completed that i went on left field and became a dental assistant at the air force academy no way yeah okay so when i tell you I, now this is what was so interesting because when i was talking to tony in our interdisciplinary class, the whole goal of interdisciplinary is to bring in two or more areas of study to kind of make you, I guess, in my head, more well-rounded. Um, and so we were talking about polymaths. And for those that don't know what a polymath is, a polymath is someone who um, brings in multiple different areas of study and applies them to do something amazing. So a lot of the polymaths you'll see are like Benjamin Franklin, who you know did multiple things in different areas of study. Um, there's many. If you just look up polymaths, it'll give you a better understanding. But our teacher asked us, who is a polymath that is in your life that you look up to, basically? Uh, and who was yours? My mom, hands down. She, okay. I actually have the name drop. Her name is Tequila Rump. Okay. She, she actually set the like pinnacle for me to understand like what it was to be a polymath before I even knew what that was. Yeah. Like, she was everything from a mechanic to a lawyer to a nurse, obviously, to being our mom, Mm -hmm. manager. She started her own business. No way. And cleaning. She stepped into these fields boldly because she had to. She raised me and my brother, like, by herself. Mm. So she couldn't afford to not know. Yeah. But I feel like her her courage to want to gain the information Mm. to be what she needed to be for her family, like, jettison in my heart that it doesn't matter what I know it's my ability to know it and, and want to learn it and yeah I, I'm really thankful that I yeah. have a mom that loved me that much and so what was her name tequila Rump. tequila shout out to you will she listen to this uh she will okay awesome <laughs> so uh he she she he talked about you in front of our whole class and it was quite interesting because it was your story that actually brought me to 
uh, Tony because you started talking about what you have done and how you uh, like the for instance the lawyer story about how you actually she won the case. Yep, she defended uh, herself and she came up with her documents supporting yeah. facts to take care of legal issues that she was confronted with yeah. to help her get the provisions she needed. And yeah. I was like, how did you come and lawyer yourself <laughs> provisions? Right. <laughs> That's awesome. And so he kind of started talking about a little bit about what he did. And our teacher was like, well, Tony, do you realize that like you're also a polymath? And um, for instance, like he said, he was in the military he not, not only was in the military, but then he became a dental assistant, right. which is just so neat uh, out in Colorado. And then you have carpen, carpentry, you know how to do yeah. all that stuff. So there's just carpentry. like a million things. This is exactly what I'm talking about when I said Tony is someone who I feel like has lived a hundred lives and has the knowledge and wisdom from all of them. Um, and so it was actually your mom's story, which is what kind of turned my ears on to your story, which was so neat. And so... Um, Mom, if you're listening, uh, you've raised an incredible, incredible human being. I mean, this is this is why I, when he said he was 25, I was like, there's no way. Yeah. There ain't no way you're 25. Like, you've done all this stuff, and he's 25 years old. So you transitioned out to Colorado to be a dental assistant. Mm-hmm. How long were you out there for? Oh, uh, three years. Okay, awesome. Colorado Springs, beautiful place. It is very beautiful, beautiful. but I have to say I wouldn't want to live there full time. Really? The snow, okay. going to work in six inches of snow. Just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you, I'm curious, because my brother-in-law, um, what he'll probably listen to this, shout out to you, Jerry, is in uh, dental school at UNC right now. So um, he has always had a, a passion for being a dentist. So when you said dental assistant, I was like, hey, Dennis, that's pretty cool. So how long was your training for that out in Colorado? Uh, my training was actually about six weeks. Okay, cool. And uh, they, they teach you pretty much the entry-level knowledge that you need to just be able to cohabitate. Yeah. And then, like, you're on the job training. Right. You will actually learn through your CDCs. For sure. Later on. So For sure. Okay, so that was kind of the you transitioning out to Colorado and kind of finishing those three years was kind of your exit way out of the Air Force, correct? Right. It, I didn't start out thinking I was going to exit. Okay. I was going to bleed blue till like I died. But yeah. it, it turned out being my exit uh, duty station. So. Okay. So what what got you to that point? Oh, man. I was uh, I was actually in a very low place compounding from like a riveting career in the honor guard, but yeah. brought on to that the onset of a new career field, hazard workplace, depression, uh, yeah. And then I was going through a divorce. I mm. definitely wasn't feeling it. And right. my mental status went out the window. I actually ended up getting admitted mm. into a psychiatric ward for three days. Yeah. And when I came back to work, they were kind of like, yeah, that was a thing, but we need you to like work. Mm. Like we don't care that you were there pretty much. Yeah. And I wasn't mad because that's not the air force isn't just what one location is mm-hmm. that was just how it was there mm. and when i saw that there wasn't going to be any give mm. i thought this is probably my exit yeah and that's when i decided to posture myself for leaving the service mm. well so. one thank you for your service and in, in the years that you spent that i mean it it can't be said enough um for for what you've done for this country Um, but also kudos to you for taking the step to realize like, Hey, this maybe isn't what's best for me. Like, this is not what's best for me. How can I, um, go forward in a positive step to get out? Because you were balancing a ton of stuff. Like you said, a, um, a work environment that wasn't ideal, 
right. you had uh, you were going through family matters at the same time, which was difficult. Um, and so you transitioning out, you're like you're taking a leap of faith to where God was really leading you at the time. Um, and so you transitioned out of the military. Where did you end up after you transitioned out? After I transitioned out, I got the grandiose idea to go to Liberty University and be a commercial pilot. So okay. I ended up coming to Lynchburg, Virginia, where we are now, to yeah. pursue education. Okay. And that's amazing because I came to Lynchburg, Virginia to do the same exact thing. Um, so I was more on the unmanned side, unmanned aerial systems, but... Uh, I didn't know this about Tony. Like Tony and I had had deep conversations already, and then we were talking literally like yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, and he was like, "Oh yeah, like I originally came to pursue aeronautics," and I was like, "What? No way!" And I was only through a research question that you had formed um, about aviation, and I was like, oh, you know, "What's your draw to aviation?" And he told me that that's where originally what he was coming to. So you went from aviation um, to what's your degree now that you're pursuing? Um, behavioral science. Okay. And when I finish this up, I'll be rolling into my MA in mm. licensed marriage family therapist. That's awesome. That is so great. Um, we had Dr. Chapman on a few weeks ago, who is also a licensed marriage and family counselor. Um, but that's that's so that's so cool to how God kind of really led you. So you got to Lynchburg in 2021. Um, and that was kind of, I would honestly say for you, had to be almost feel like a new start. It was day one new start for me. It was as if those other years didn't matter. Mm. And I have to say that is like the grace of God and his love. Amen. Like when Joseph said, I almost forgot about the hardship that led up being sold into slavery, having to be a prisoner and, mm. and all that stuff. Like I really felt like that was my new beginning. Mm because I ended up meeting my wife here. Yeah. And uh, she brought me to her church, and that was the first time I actually sat in the presence of God. Mm, amen. And I ended up getting baptized. Amen, amen. Okay, so got to Lynchburg, met your wife. Now tell us how you met your wife. Oh, <laughs> I met her in the computer lab, and okay. she was looking distressed. Like, she just looked upset. <laughs> I was like, you need someone to talk to and brighten up your day, so I'm going to speak to you. There we go. And lo and behold, I'm running my charisma and charm. <laughs> and I ended up getting the number, right? Okay, that clutch. She pulled through. She did pull through. Okay. She pulled me to Christ. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> the biggest pull through. And I never... She won't admit it, but we pretty much never left each other's side since that day. Mm -hmm. Like, I met her that day. We pretty much stayed late at night. We were talking, like, really trying to get to know each other. Yeah. And it, we didn't separate from each other until, like, three to four days later mm -hmm. when I had to go back to Colorado and pick mm -hmm. up the rest of my belongings. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's so cool. So, guys, if there's, if there's a girl out there that you're like, you know, you maybe see her struggling. She's had a rough day. You could be her encouragement. I mean, take it, take take some notes from Tony over here. She was struggling. He she pulled through. Got the he got the digits. Got got the. And then she he got the digits, and then she led you to Christ. Ultimately, ultimately invited you to church, uh, and that's where you said uh, the amazing story of that's where you really really first experienced God's presence, and then got baptized, dedicated your life to Christ, right. uh, and then the rest is rest is kind of history. So. Um, one that's amazing. I think that's so cool because I was as I was listening to Tony talk about um, him and his wife's marriage and how he found um, her. One thing that was so neat was God intends marriage to be where two people 
praise and honor him together better than they can individually. Um, and what's so cool about that is you had to take a leap of faith on her when after you had gotten out of a marriage that didn't work out. You know, so you had gotten out of a marriage that didn't work out in another part of the country. You had to be somewhat like scared to get into something else. I scared. I was petrified. <laughs> I was I was at such a low place. Like I realized that my inward interpretation of me was like a vagabond, mm. and I was like not thinking that I was worthy of anything great. Mm. And I had to trust her, but at the same time, I had to see what God was trying to show me. For sure. And he was like, yeah, you tried to have a marriage without me. Mm. Let me show you what we can do together. Mm. And like when I put him in the center of it, like those things that I would try to force, they just took place. Yeah. And I can't say that for every situation, you know, someone who went through divorce and then got married again. Yeah. Because you might not be called to someone immediately as right. I was. Right. But that was a divine connection that I couldn't even challenge because I knew it was God. Mm. So that's why I pursued it because I wasn't pursuing flesh. Mm. I was pursuing holiness. Man, yeah. that's powerful right there. Not pursuing flesh, but pursuing holiness. And I'm assuming when you met her and you realize how great she was, you realize that to honor Christ better than you could individually was to be with her. Right. And be able to do that together. Right. Um, because not only in a relationship does it take both parties individually seeking Christ in their own life, but it also takes your joint relationship with Christ as well, um, which is powered, obviously, from your individual um, you know, walk in, walk in the Spirit. So when she took you to church and you, know, you got baptized and, and got saved, how did that transition your point of view from... Um, I guess beforehand about a, a relationship until and then after that. Oh man, that transition it it was quick, mm -hmm. but it it was slow enough for me to to realize it was a change. Yeah, like when I got baptized, it went from me against the world from like a a position of victory. Mm. Like I always questioned, could I? It wasn't a question of could I. It was when I? Is mm. it the season? Is God going to? it made me feel less alone and yeah. that deliverance brought healing in my mental health mm. like it went from me by myself to me and god who has already defeated the enemy that helped me actually love mm. i didn't know what it meant to love vulnerably mm. but when you accept christ into your life you can't be rigid mm. and that transition from me, 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 what I want, what I'm looking for went from where's the God in this? Where's the God in her? How can we pursue this together? What is our marriage going to be like in Christ? Mm. Not what what bad can we get to? Mm. How can we look good on social media? Yeah. Like, can we put on the persona of a great life? I would I I didn't have those thoughts from that point forward. And I think being baptized in Jesus name really helped solidify that. Mm. Praise God, man. That is what an incredible story about how God really just used your your wife at that point, which you didn't even know. Didn't like you know. didn't even know she was going to be in that capacity. Mm -hmm. um, but because you took a chance and because God was prompting you to go speak to her that day, like you look to see the delivering that he brought you, right. you know, and they say hindsight's twenty twenty, and it is. And hindsight, a lot of time, is a thirty thousand foot view of what you've gone through. But you think about like you transitioning out to Colorado, and then 
um, you know, a work environment that wasn't good, going through a tough family situation. Like you could see God was paving the road then for everything that's here now. And so God used your hardships to bring you and deliver you um, from the struggles that you had mentally, the struggles that you had uh, with your family um, and, and all of that stuff. And so he really used your wife to bring you from that. Right. And it had to be that way. I know people be like, well, why would God let something happen to a guy of, you know, his child? Well, mm. you don't understand how sold out I was to the U.S. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with serving your country. Yeah. But I, I idolized mm. those possessive things that one day will come to waste. Yeah. And I had to see my life sh- like crumble so that I could know what it was without him. Mm. Because I wasn't living. Oh, I no, wasn't living. You good. You good. You good. Yeah, you're good. Keep, keep going. I wasn't living then. Yeah. But when I found him, I knew life. Amen. I became a new creation. And I don't think I would have actually truthfully wanted to accept him had it happened any other way man okay i want to stop right there real quick because you said something that clicked with me um about how he was sold out for the u.s and idolized those things and a lot of times when we idolize excuse me a hiccup a lot of times when we idolize things in our life what that means is we're putting it above god in our relationship um uh, with him and so i had a very similar instance with that, that God quickly took away. And I was sharing it with you the other day with was flying. Um, so flying and aviation was something that I wanted to do ever since I was little, ever since I was young, it was my passion. And it still is a great passion of mine. But when I finally had the ability to do that, when finally God brought me uh, to the point where he was letting me do it, it became my idol so quickly that it, it took me away from my relationship with God because everything I lived and breathed flying. Um, I wore it as a badge of honor because it was something that no one else, a lot of people couldn't do. You you had people that were saying, hey, man, like, you know, we should do this, we should do that. And so it brought people that, you know, I, I just thought it was cool I, and, and I was good at it too. But before it, before it even got really, really going, God saw that it was something that I couldn't handle um, because it was taking me away from my relationship with him. And so it's like, imagine experiencing the day that God takes it from from under your feet when it's something that you have longed for your whole life you know it destroyed me it it, he brought me it it made my mental health worse because it's something that I took away but it ultimately delivered me from it because when I realized that that wasn't what God had for me in that very moment I had to get to the point where I was like okay God where it is where is it that you want me and if he hadn't have taken that from me Good gracious, I don't know where it would have happened, but like you said, there's no other way that you would have wanted it to happen. So your hardships out in Colorado uh, with your with your wife, with the military, all of those things, he was transitioning you for a greater purpose and mission and journey in Lynchburg, halfway across the country. Right. He, he said, I will never take a loss. Mm. God has never lost. And that includes a battle against us. Amen. And that, all that time was him defeating me. Hmm. to make room for him amen so i i wholeheartedly believe that yeah i mean i made those decisions yeah but god still kept his hands on me and i was like how how could i not serve a god that loved me even when i denied him the most Hmm. you're speaking man you're speaking i love that i think 
man, God uses so many different, I don't even know what you'd call them. Um, I guess flashes of light in our life to get our attention, you know, like sometimes God will take you to rock bottom so that he can lift you up. Right. You know, and that's basically what I, uh, felt and what you felt, I'm sure at times. And gratefully enough, you were able to come to Lynchburg to start a new life. But I know that that new life, I'm sure when you got here, you, you didn't know anybody. Um, it was a lonely, probably like, okay, God, like what, what is it that you want me to do? It was like a foreign land. Like yeah. I, I was out here wandering through the wilderness yeah. trying to get to the promised land. I I didn't know anyone, but meeting my wife, I met everyone. And yeah. I got that church body and support that I needed. And I have to shamelessly plug this because if you think you're going to be saved without being a part of the body, you don't understand how God works. Mm. He uses those around you. And if you're around no one and you're feeling alone, that's probably because you're putting yourself in a position to be compromised by the enemy. Man, that's a good word. And, and God desires for his children to be in community. Right. Satan desires us to be isolated. Right. And so in that isolation is when Satan can work. Um, Great work he does it in there. And what's crazy is a lot of times when we are depressed and we, are, we isolate ourselves, you know, it, it is it is of our own doing because we don't want to be with anybody, and that's exactly where Satan wants. Right. So it wants us to do. Um, and so, one of the things that we had talked about was, you know, the question was how has your mental health improved after you got married? And one of the things that you responded to me was, um, it's a marathon. You have to take it as a marathon. So go into that a little bit. It is a marathon because you think you know something when you get married i'm i'm 25 yeah. i got married at like 24 okay and i had already been married before right and i still knew nothing mm. i needed to really figure out what it was my wife needed mm. and serve that mm. i had to stop serving me and serve her and you don't realize how selfish you are until you're the head of a household and it's not this is my house is how can I serve you there was times in my marriage where my wife was saying you're you're being defensive you have to swallow your pride and actually hear and listen be quick to listen and slow to speak because in that moment I thought she was just giving me a hard time but really she was trying to show me some trauma mm. I was guarded because I hadn't quite yet put it all down mm. and my wife had to be patient she had to work on and she was equipped, right? Mm, love it. By God to love me the way I needed so mm. that in turn I could do the same. Mm. She was everything that I needed. And in turn, it became everything I wanted. Amen. So it had to be a marathon. Like I couldn't just expedite this because, oh, I've been married before. I'm 25. People are looking at me. Yeah. Let them look. Because when you do life with someone and Christ is at the center of it, you can't afford to miss those God moments. Mm, that's a good word. I love that because it really shows one how much how much of an impact your wife had on you. Um, but two, like you said, just being that being the person in the family who is biblically the leader. You know, leading um, not only her but yourself. Uh, and if you're not leading yourself, you can't lead her not leading yourself you can't lead others so it's so powerful because you have to learn how to lead self before you're able to lead yourself or excuse me lead others in a group of others you know and so um 
what's powerful is the fact that you realize that it was a marathon, um, but God in that time was equipping her to help you through those, those, you know, maybe the shackles that hadn't fallen off from your past. Right. Like you, you think when you get baptized, oh, well, I'm baptized. I got to be perfect now. Right. Quite the opposite. Some things he can deliver you from for instantly. Sure. For sure. But where's the God in it if you don't go through the journey of actually realizing what you were oppressed by? And yeah. walking with my wife through that journey that I love her to death. I can't say it enough because she was so patient. Hmm. It helped me actually see how much the enemy was truthfully binding me. Like my thoughts were negative. The way I loved was negative. Yeah. The way I received it was negative. It was all centered around flesh. That transition doesn't happen overnight. Mm. And there's going to be some days where you're like, I want to quit, but you can't. Yeah. Like you have someone who needs you, but at the same time, you have a legacy that's going to be attached to you. Yeah. And God's word is attached to you. So mm. he can't afford to let you quit either. Right. And I, that type of mindset keeps you through the long hours. Mm. It keeps you choosing to love because that's not something you just feel. Oh uh, yeah. Woo. Woo. Man, I talked I was about to say, man, love is not a feeling, it's a sacrifice. And that was not something that I realized until the latter part of my life, whether it is an emotional, romantic love for someone else or whether it's an unconditional love like for your family, for your parents. You know, you see I see time and time again with, you know, my family that, you know, I know my parents love me, but you think they do love you, but you see like, for instance, how much your mom sacrificed for you, right. you know, and it's a, it's a daily decision to get up and say, Hey, even though today I might not feel like loving my wife, I'm going to sacrifice for her and choose love, right. you know? And so I know that these people listening are probably like, why is this dude speaking? He didn't even have, he didn't have a girlfriend. He didn't have a wife. I fully understand that. Um, but this isn't just, like I said, a romantic love. This is a love that, you know, a godly love, right. you know, because there, I'm sure there are many times, and I know God is God, but he wakes up every morning and he chooses us. He chooses to love us. He has the ability to not, Right. has the ability to not, but he wakes up and he chooses us. So the question that begs is, are we going to wake up and choose him? Are we going to wake up and choose to love like he does to other people? Right. Are we going to wake up and choose to love people that we don't agree with right. or that wrong us? Right. Um, and so it's that intentionality to choose love. Um, the one thing that is, is popping in my mind now when I was sitting down with Dr. Chapman, um, he said in one of his books, but he said this in the podcast, he said, every single day you have to wake up and intentionally choose the attitude of love that day. For your significant other um and so obviously dr chapman is someone who writes a lot of uh great books you know the five love languages um i'm reading a book now uh about things i wish i would have known before i got married um and because he had a rough marriage at the very beginning with his wife um but i thought that one line has sat with me every single day of waking up and choosing the intentional attitude of love in that moment and the way that you're talking and describing it describes that quote perfectly of waking up and choosing the intentional attitude to love your wife right. that day and she she did that for you she was patient she was kind you know you, the fruits of the spirit right kind of pop out that's that is from the jump because 
she had walked she was already walking with god mm. and the fruit of her spirit naturally just reciprocated oh he's hurting he's lashing out let me not yeah. do the same let me give him what he needs so that he can see yeah and that is a choice it, you don't wake up and feel like oh yeah i can't wait to romanticize my wife today it's like a i don't feel like it but i know i'd much rather be here than anywhere else mm, that's such a good word um so let's Let's jump into kind of the the encouragement part part of this. What encouragement would you give to someone who might be in a similar similar place that you know you were in a few years ago, or a similar place, um, just maybe not really understanding what God is doing in their life right now. The first would be is that God is not intimidated by your process mm. if you got us because god's not linear like yeah. he didn't see that you know israel was struggling to get egypt off them when they was in the wilderness and was right. like, oh, it's gonna take y'all 40 years let me just go on, <laughs> on ahead and back out of here like yeah he was kind of like yeah it's gonna take them 40 years but when they get through the 40 years they're still gonna be my people mm. god is not ashamed and he's not intimidated by what it takes to get you to where he already knows you're gonna be man and that's that's like the first one because it, it it helps you not be so hard on yourself when you got to start over mm. starting over is good sometimes like you said starting over is is beneficial because it, it's all it's a mindset for one but for two like you said god is not intimidated by our process because he obviously because he's god he knows what we're gonna have to go through to get us to the point of um finally acknowledging him and what he is doing in our life um, and there are some people that it takes 50, 60 years to get there, right. you know? And so it's easy for us to be like, man, you know, for me, dang, wh why is it taking me 21 years to figure this out? You know, but you've got to think, hey, one, it's a process. It's a journey. you got to take the long ball approach right. as God does for you. And two, 21 is better than 50. 50 is better than 60. 60 is better than 80, you know? 80 is better than never. Every, 80 is better than never. <laughs> I love it. Um, what else? Um, I have to say, you have to learn to forgive yourself. Mm. And I think a lot of times we, we accept the fact that other people need grace, but we don't give grace for ourselves. Oof. And we're sitting like, how could I do this? I clearly ain't who I thought I like. Relax. Yeah. Forgive yourself. God has already forgiven you, especially mm. when you come to him humbly and seeking forgiveness mm. he's already forgotten mm. how could you hold on to your your own shortcomings and he's already forgotten the gall that you think that you have the power to hold yourself to something that god doesn't mm. and that's that is like something i wish someone had said to me because yeah. that would have kept a lot of sleepless nights mm. that would have kept a lot of you know what i'm gonna settle I'm going to make room for compromise. Yeah. Because compromise came from me not forgiving myself. You know what? Maybe I'll, I'll let them treat me this way mm. because I don't forgive myself. Yeah. And that's. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's such a, that has been a hard, hard, hard thing for me. And that's ultimately what brought me into my depression. Um, and the deepest parts of my depression was the lack of self-forgiveness in my life. And I had to realize that for any of y'all that might struggle with self-forgiveness, the, the, the verses that I always went to was Psalm 51. Um, Psalm 51 is so powerful because it's when Nathan has confronted David about his affair with Bathsheba um, and then the murder of her husband. And 
he ultimately realizes right when right when Nathan confronts him with this crap I I messed up right I messed up and he falls on his face and just cries out to God and even though David who was a leader of many did something in the eyes of human worth murder and had an affair with a woman who was married that's some tough stuff right there Very. that's some tough stuff but his posture of his heart immediately turned to God it was a repentance a repentance that immediately turned 180 from where he was at and turned to God and it was that passage and journey that I realized look God uses people like David like Paul who was Saul who killed Christians for his miraculous work David one of the one of the best kings to ever reign in that time and described as a man after God's own heart now I want to say something real quick because I didn't realize this for the longest time but I always wondered how can I become a man after God's own heart when I can't even forgive myself when I've sinned when I've fallen short God doesn't say you have to be a man after God's own heart and to be perfect right you know being a man after God's own heart is a daily pursuit to choose and follow Christ. And now that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. But it's your response and the posture of your heart after you mess up um, to get to that point of confession and repentance. And so David, it shows that he was a man after God's own heart. And a lot of people ask, well, why would God describe someone like that who murdered someone? Why would God describe someone like that who had an affair with a woman who was married? Like, why? And it's because you see in the repentance, in the confession of David, he turned 180 degrees right there and realized what he had done was wrong. When enemies were trying to kill him, he went to God. When he was struggling, when he was depressed, he went to God. When he was excited, when he had come through a breakthrough, he went to God. That is someone that is a man after God's own heart. God desires you, whether you're a man or a woman, to be after his own heart and try to go where he is leading you. Um, And so that self-forgiveness is so important because if David had not accepted that forgiveness that God gave him and he just decided to sit on that lack of self-forgiveness, he wouldn't have been able to do all of the things that he did after that. And it wasn't until I realized that that I realized that me sitting in my lack of self-forgiveness was actually a selfish posture of my own heart Mm. because I was not accepting I was saying that what God did what Jesus did on the cross the sacrifice and the blood that he shed wasn't enough for me Mm. you know and we talked about that the other day and it was so powerful you know so um that's ultimate like really that's like really disrespect like he (laughs) lashes on the back thorns in the head Mm. he's on the cross carrying it for Mm. you even Mm. when he done nothing and you mean to tell me that his sacrifice is not sufficient to give yourself permission to live Mm. like what would he have done all of this for if it wasn't good enough Mm. that's so true and you got to realize the the voice of god and the voice of satan sound very very familiar um, but you have to get to the point where you can understand and determine who is who. And I think that understanding the voice of God, because understanding the voice of God is wrapped in love, redemption, peace, forgiveness. And don't, then, yeah, go for it. Don't forget conviction. Conviction. That is, And that is the whole, whole point of the Holy Spirit. You know, he's given us that Holy Spirit to lead us into conviction, to lead us into different things. But the voice of Satan is wrapped in shame, mm. embarrassment, condemnation 
all of those things. And it very specifically talks about in the Bible that condemnation is not from God. No. God didn't God didn't send His Son Jesus to condemn the world, but instead to save the world through Absolutely. Him. You know, and so that's a great, great place of encouragement um, for those people that are out there. You have any other points of encouragement? I do. It does not matter what you do, where you go, or how you go about it. It's not about you. It's all about God. Mm. Mm. That's a great word. That is a great word. Unpack that a little bit. I didn't know what Lynchburg was. Mm. My life was already a shambles. Naturally, I want to curl up in a ball, go back <laughs> to what I know, and stick yeah. to what's familiar. Mm. Because that's what makes me feel comfortable. Well, what if God told you to step outside your comfort zone because someone he's going to use needs deliverance and he wants to use you? Are you going to be selfless enough to hearken unto his instructions and put yourself aside to let God get the glory? It mm. was never about you. Like once he saved you, it stopped being about you. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it stopped that day. Mm. He had our the one sheep that he went after was you. He got you back to the 99. Now there's someone else. Man, that is a, that's phenomenal. I'm telling you, guys, I'm telling you, Tony's got the wisdom of the Lord here. And, and, and he is a man after God's own heart. Um, and he's been such an encouragement into my life because every time we sit down, he's sharing with me something that he's learned. And it's been an encouragement. Uh, it's one of my, the favorite reasons to go to my capstone class because I know Tony's going to be there. You know, he's no. going to drop drop some knowledge. No. Um, one thing I wanted to share with y'all too is um, a common misconception about you know, for instance, you took a step out t step of faith coming to Liberty, transitioning halfway across the country to come to Liberty when you didn't know anybody. Right. Um, but what I will I will say is when God is calling you to something, no matter what it is, when He is planted a, a purpose and a mission in your heart don't think that you have to be fully equipped on day one to start that mm -hmm. thing um because god will equip you on the way right um and it's very similar to how the whole equipped ministry got going with god said hey i want you to share your story you've got a set of unique experiences first thing i said to god was well, God, that's awesome. I don't know how to do that, and I don't think I'm equipped to do that. And the thing he told me was, well, Colby, I have equipped you every single step of the way, and I've, and I've equipped you. So the common quote that, that, that a lot of people hear when it comes to the word equipped is, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Right. And, and let's break that down a little bit, because if he was to call those who were already equipped— those people would not necessarily have any type of reason to rely on God because they already have what they have internally to be able to do that. Not knowing that they had it in the first place because of him. Exactly, exactly. And so why is it that he equips the called? It's because we are stretched out, arms open, waiting for God to lead us and move us. And he leads us to something, but a lot of times we're so quick to shoot it down because we're like, that can't be me. Right. That can't be me. Right. But who else? <laughs> yeah, literally, who else? Well, I know there's someone who's probably already equipped to do that. And God's saying, oh, I'm sure there is, and I know there is. But I want to call you because you're going to be the one who was going to lean on me for that process. And I'm able to show all of my honor and glory through you. All of the things that I do, because when God equips us, 
he's able to show his honor and glory through that because it's one of those things that you know good and well from the start. Well, it couldn't be it. It couldn't have been me on my own because I didn't know how to do that when I started. Right. You know. So it's just so powerful. You don't have to be fully equipped on day one to start something because God will equip you on the way. And besides, it's, it's not even fun to come up to the game with everything you need. Like the quest, the journey, the trials and errors, like figuring it out, like it feels so much better than coming in there with a prepackaged mod, right? Amen. Amen. It's like, it's like I'm a guy who likes doing Legos. I like Legos, you know? So it's like I could go buy a fully finished Lego set, but what's the fun in that? The fun is putting it together. Right. And then seeing the finished product. Because you worked on it. Because you worked on it. And that's what I love because when you realize that in your life, when you realize that you don't have to be fully equipped to start something, your yeses are, are you have a lot more yeses on the table. You have a, And that's what God wants you to, wants to know because there are times where he might call you to something just to, just to see if your yes will be on the table. Right. Just to see if your yes will be on the table. And if it's not, then you've got to fix the posture of your heart. And you, his promises are yes and amen. 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 Yes and amen. I yes and amen that, man. Um, dude, thank you for everything today. I I appreciate it. I have I have loved getting to know you, Tony. And um, thank you so much for being willing to be vulnerable and honest about who you are and what you do. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like the opportunity, and I definitely wanted to be open about this mm-hmm. like i have no idea how many people i passed by that probably felt the way that i did that i probably shook hands with rubbed shoulders with and yeah. never took the time to give them the truth that god put within me because the ugly parts really are the best part mm. and you doing this is a direct implication that god is putting you in the right place mm. there are so many people that have god in them that need a platform to distribute like why not you and I want to just tell you, when you go forward in this, go forward boldly. Mm. Go forward with confidence in him mm. because it was never about what you could do. Amen. It was always about what God could do. Amen. And whoever else is sitting in front of you or whoever else isn't, it all is added to your account. You have no idea when you get up into heaven front confronting God and he's like, you remember that, that podcast I told you to do? You know how many people got saved? Mm. You know how many people turned to me? My good and faithful servant, well done. Mm, thank you, brother. That's that encouragement means more than you know. Um, man, guys, I hope you have been as encouraged as uh, I have. I have sitting here today. Um, this is exactly the reason why I wanted Tony to come on and share his story. And we're not we're not done yet. I got one more part that he doesn't know about. Um, this is my. I like to do these kind of hot topic games at the end where we get to know a little bit more about you. We get to know a little bit about, you know, what you like. So are you a movie person at all? I I am. Okay. Okay. What What's like a series or anything that, you know, something that you're like, oh, man, I just love that. To be honest with you, when it comes to movies and a series, I, this was before I was saved. Okay. I was a huge Saw Saga guy. Oh, no way. And I don't know why. Okay. But I was taking up every opportunity that I could to watch each one. I even owned a collection <laughs> at one point in time. Yeah. Okay, so if you had to be any movie character, who would you be? Any movie character? It doesn't have to be just in the Saw Saga. It can be anything. Could it be like cartoons as well? It could be, yeah. Oh, if, if you're opening me up like that, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I have to be Aang. Okay. I have to be Aang from uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay, okay. He, respectfully, 
I don't agree with all the, the premises in there, <laughs> but he, for some reason, his ability to love mm-hmm. and to be such a one size fit all character is like the type of happy go lucky yeah. inspiration that I would want to personify. Maybe not being in the elements, but yeah. maybe just being that guy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. I, I, my answer to that question, I'd say it's probably got to be when I was growing up. The original Top Gun was just amazing. The original Top Gun was amazing because I loved, I loved, I wanted to be in the Air Force. Um, and then not even to mention the new Top Gun Maverick. That's phenomenal. I'd probably be in that movie. I'd say I'd probably be Maverick. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably where I would go. Uh, now I I gotta share this because this killed me. Tony said that he was an avid Monopoly player. Yeah, avid is really the best way I can put that. Like, whenever I get the chance, I'm like, honey, you want to play Monopoly? And she's like, no, I'm tired of playing Monopoly. <laughs> but she was whooping, in the beginning, my wife would whoop on me. Okay. In Monopoly. But after a while, I came around. <laughs> so did you, do y'all actually, I don't think I've ever played a Monopoly game that I finished. Oh, well, so see, you didn't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. All right. So he's an avid Monopoly player. Um, another question I have. If you had to live the life of anyone in the past so i mean we're talking about you know inventors bible times other than jesus i mean that's a tough life to live though not nonetheless right jesus's life was i mean ultimate sacrifice but any person who would you live mm, i gotta think that is a good question i gotta think who would i want to live past <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's so many. There's so many different people that you could pick. Right. There's like a, an array of people that I could pick. But to be honest with you, he's still alive. Mm-hmm. But I would like to be Bill Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> Bill, what's the reason behind that? He's he's. I believe he's atheist. Yeah, he is. But he taught me proteins and beans. You know, like. <laughs> His life was so centered around his passion, and I was like, <laughs> "The fact that you're atheist and know so much about science proves that you truthfully don't know how it speaks to God." That is very true. But if I was Bill Nye the Science Guy, I'd be like, "All right, you guys, today, power. Where does it come from?" <laughs> <laughs> and then we we go right into it, and electricity, and then I show them how God is the ultimate power that's giving us the light every day. Man, I just never would have expected Bill Nye the Science Guy. I, lo- I mean, I love it. I think that you've got an incredible opportunity and platform there as Bill Nye the Science Guy. All right, so avid Monopoly player, Bill Nye the Science Guy. Um, man, I love it. Okay, another one of the last questions. If you had to go back and have dinner with anyone, uh, it could be, like I said, Bible times. It could be presidents. It could be anything. Who is someone that you would like to sit in the room with, in the room with, with an hour, for an hour? I would say President Barack Obama, but because I met him and his family and I smelt him, he smells. Oh, like oh, yeah, yeah. Keep going with that statement. Keep going with that statement. So I met President Barack Obama for the first time, and I don't know how else to say this, but that day I met him, he smelled like smooth jazz. <laughs> like I'm not trying to fanboy him. I'm not trying to fanboy him, but he really smelled like smelled like uh, smooth jazz, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I can't be mad at him. Like, <laughs> okay. So, what type of have you been able to like? You think he showered right before he met you? Like, I don't know. I, apparently, he 
used to smoke, so I, I expected no him way. to smell like smoke, but he didn't. He just smelled, smelled like, smooth, like jazz. smooth jazz. Like, <laughs> I can't wait for people to hear that. I know people are going to get kicked out. When he told me that the first time, I think I asked him, like, man, what was it like meeting Barack Obama? And he said that, I was like, what in the world? <laughs> smooth jazz. I don't know if he's ever going to hear this, but I, I just had to, you know, you smelled like smooth jazz. Like, whatever you were doing that day, keep doing that. You do. <laughs> it's, if, you, if, you, if you can share those tips, too. Right. I think smooth jazz is a good thing to, to smell like. Um, no matter, I, I have a, what I think smooth jazz would smell like in my head, but I guess I'll never know until I meet Obama. Right, when you smell a sound. okay so obama was an awesome person to meet but ultimately wouldn't be the person that you'd sit down with in the room with one hour i wouldn't i would have to sit down with enoch oh and the reason why i question this to this day he walked with god until he was no more abraham got to sit with god in the cool of the day but enoch that was different. I got to know what was happening. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I've had Bible times. I think mine would have to be Bible times as well. Cause like there are a few people that I'm like, man, like for instance, Job mm. learning about everything that that man went through. Um, King David would be interesting just because his life was such a roller coaster of like, you know, Goliath. And then obviously right. him getting the role as King. And then, everything that he went through when he was king um he was the original starter from the bottom yeah like, <laughs> like abraham he had wealth with his family right and he left it to nothing right but david he was the youngest of eight from jesse and he mm-hmm. was out there in the field with sheep so right <laughs> out there in the, in the field with sheep and then playing his harp for him and then just slaying giants in his in his pastime right, <laughs> he's like, just slaying giants in his pastime um Another one, I thought, one, obviously, I think it would be interesting to sit in a room with, like, be one of Jesus' 12. Because, hmm. like, I can only imagine the things that you saw. Because, like, there were times in his early ministry that they didn't know that he was the Messiah yet. Right. You know? I had no idea. And so I, the one thing that I, I've studied extensively is, like, when Jesus fed the 5,000, you know, he had, the Jesus had sent the 12 disciples out to go talk about um, their need for a savior in different the surrounding region. They came back. Jesus is um, tired, and he says, let's go to the other side of the lake with the disciples. So, so the disciples follow him over there. He feeds the 5,000, so they see that miracle. They then see, after that miracle, he tells them to go back to the other side of the lake and that he'll meet him over there. And they're struggling to get over there because of the head of a headwind in their boat. They couldn't go. They couldn't really go anywhere. So they were stuck in the middle of the lake. They then see Jesus walk on water to meet them. Mm. They think it's a ghost, but then they realize it's Jesus when they hear his voice. He then not only <laughs> he then not only acknowledges them, but he comes and gets in their boat. And then after he gets in their boat. He calms the storm. You have little faith. You have little faith. And he even says, it even says that the disciples' hearts were hardened towards him after this because they were still trying to process what had just happened with him feeding the 5,000. And then they see him walk on water, which they'd never seen. And then they see him um, basically calm a storm. 
and you you just named off a very that and that was a powerful truth you just named off everything that they saw but what they didn't see was how he was praying in the mountain mm. that led to him to be able to walk on the water amen amen what's what happens in the private place is important yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is true man that's that is actually a really good point and then not only does he do that, but he walks on the water a later time when he calls Peter out mm. to walk on the water. Right. So at this point, they've seen him walk on water once. He calls Jesus, if it's you, allow me to walk on water to you. Peter walks on water. But then quickly after, transitioning back a little bit, quickly after they he calms the storm, a few days later pass, very similar situation happens when they get out of the boat and Jesus feeds the 4,000. Mm. When he says the same exact line when he gets out of the boat and sees the people, he says, he turns to his disciples like they're in a little huddle and he goes, guys, I have compassion on them. And they ask the same freaking question. They say, well, how are we going to feed these people? And he literally goes in the huddle, did you not just see me do this with 5,000 plus people the other day? And you're, yeah, and you're asking me how I'm going to do it again? Like, there's right. just... I know Jesus had to be fed up at times with those disciples. I, you, you're right. <laughs> to be honest with you, you're right. That's like you're you coming home to your kids and your kids being like, "Dad, how do you keep paying the bills? Right. Like, are you going to feed us today?" Like, right? Have I not? Been? <laughs> That's it's the exact point in time when Jesus goes. It's it's like a man who looks in the mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Ooh. It's like the same thing with the disciples. They saw him feed the five thousand. They had seen him turn water into wine. His very first miracle. They had seen him heal people, so it wasn't out of the character of God to do these things, but it was just new things that they were seeing him do. Right. And so he feeds the 5,000. They're like, what in the world just went on? I can imagine the conversations when Jesus wasn't there that was going on in the boat. Like, what the heck? They see him walk on water. They freak out. They freak out the second time when they think they see a ghost on the water again, and it's Jesus again. And then Peter goes, well, if it's really you, let me walk on water. Peter, man, he's he's one of those that struggles with those, struggles with the, I guess, trusting what God says is to be true because he denied him. Man, but he's the hype man. He's the hype <laughs> man, you know? And so it just shows, like, that would have been to be in the ministry, to sit with Jesus day in and day out, that would have been incredible. I mean, and now, granted, all of those guys died at, a very awful death. I think there's one of them that didn't, I don't remember who it was, one of them that didn't end up getting murdered for following Christ. Hmm. I could be wrong on that. I thought it was. Because I know, like, Peter died, Peter got crucified, but he, but he, uh, he he couldn't be crucified the same way that Jesus was, so he went upside down. Um, I swear, let me look that up. That's going to bother me if I don't know that. Um, but let me think. I guess did all the did all the disciples die a bad death? I guess that's the best way to put that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Ten of them were martyred. Ten. John was the one who died of old age. Oh wow, the one he beloved. Beloved, yeah. John was the one who died of old age, and then of course Judas killed himself. So ten of them were martyred. Then there was Judas who killed himself, who was the first one, um, and then John was the only one to die of old age. 
He said he really said it. God was the one, you know. <laughs> yeah, literally. So it just goes to show, like, maybe if maybe if I could pick, uh, maybe I'd be John. Maybe maybe I'd be John. I I wouldn't mind dying of old age, but um, no, that's crazy. Okay, that that's basically all the questions I had. We got to know you a little bit better. So if I take anything away from this, take away that you're an avid Monopoly player. <laughs> you know, yeah. take away that in two fast facts that I didn't tell you, um, he loves Mario Kart and he loves poetry. Oh, yes. Dude, a renaissance man. A renaissance man no, is no. Tony. No, no, no. I know why your wife loves you. You had Okay, you got to be honest with me here. Yeah, I know. I think you know the question that's coming. Did you write her any poems? I did, but that's not. I wrote her <laughs> poetry after we had. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So it was more like after y'all got was it before you got married or after y'all got married? It was actually before we got married. Like I okay. had, like I had really, I had new feelings with her. Yeah. So I wanted to like transcribe that. Yeah, and articulate those. Yeah. And I put it inside a show like a shadow box. Oh put, yeah. Like, her hobbies. So I put like a little horse and yeah. man because she used to be an equestrian. Yeah. And I put like a laptop and like music notes because she played a mm-hmm. violin and things okay. like that. Okay. And I wrote the poem and I called it was called uh, "My Diamond in the Rough." Oh wow, and that's really what I could view her as. Like I was really in the rough, and yet God gave me a diamond. <sighs> we know we need more men like Tony out here. All men, if you're listening to this, strive to be like Tony. Obviously, Tony's this way because of Christ. But this is a perfect example of what Christ can do in your life when, especially when you've gone through many things and many trials. The verse of the day was um, popped up, and it was the. The verse that said, you know, rejoice, my brothers, when you go through trials of many kinds, you know, because that those trials ultimately lead into perseverance and the strengthening of faith and all of that stuff. Um, so even though you went through trials, Tony, man, you know, it seems as though God has protected you as he always has. And so remember that going forward, that he will always be your provider. Um, and then so just again, thank you so much for being willing to sit down with me today and talk. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you enjoyed everything um, that Tony and I had to say. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting announcements. Again, this episode is going to air February 17th. Um, we're, it's currently February 2nd when we're recording this. Um, but a lot of upcoming announcements um, actually that are going to be coming out about Equipped in Season 3. Um, we are pumped about it. Uh, there's going to be a lot of cool... I don't want to spoil it. You'll see. You'll see. Just bear with us. I know I've been saying it for the last few weeks, but I'm trying to hype it up. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the works. And I'm super excited about it. Feel free to reach out to us um, on the Equipped Podcast Instagram. We also have a Facebook now just called Equipped Pod, so feel free to follow that um, as well. But it, the Equipped Podcast Instagram is just E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D dot P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Uh, feel free to reach out to us and message us. Um, thank you so much for y'all's encouragement as it means more than, you know, to continue to keep doing, uh, what God has me here to do. Um, all glory to him for everything. Um, so we love you. I hope you have a great weekend, live for him this weekend. Um, and as you go into the new week, uh, take this encouragement with you, uh, and make sure to spend time in his word, because if you want to grow with Christ and you want to hear from Christ, um, it's in Christ's word. I love you guys. Peace out. (laughs) 